This is it. The final week of the NFL season. The first ever Week 18. Playoff berths are on the line. Seating is on the line. And a shot the number one spot in the AFC could be up for grabs. Plus, a bizarre scenario that could see both the Chargers and the Raiders make it in. We're breaking down all the games that matter to get you set up for the start of the playoffs. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. Lots of games to get into. You got win and in kind of games. Week 18, what a great bonus for every football fan out there like us. You get to have some more football. And along with having some more football, you get some more stories like these. Mike, you've been saying all along, I think since about at least week 12, hey, Aaron Rodgers is the MVP. Don't get it confused. Cooper Cups have a sensational season. Jonathan Taylor's been remarkable for the Colts. But come on, it's Rodgers. And we have this story coming out from a guy who now clearly regrets it. Longtime Chicago-based football reporter, Hub Arkush, who is now saying he regretted his decision, what he said, in case you missed what he said. I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the most valuable player. He's talking about Aaron Rodgers. Has he been the most valuable on the field? This was on Tuesday via Pro Football Talk. Yeah, you could make that argument, but I don't think he's clearly that much more valuable than Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup or maybe even Tom Brady. So from where I sit, the rest of it is why he's not going to make my choice. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. A lot of voters don't approach it the way I do, but others do who I've spoken to. One of the ways we get to keep being voters is we're not allowed to say who we are voting for until after the award has been announced. I'm probably pushing the envelope by saying who I'm not voting for, but we're not really supposed to reveal our vote. So he defended his decision considering those off-the-field factors, saying there's no guidelines. We're told to pick the guy who we think is most valuable to his team. But Mike, the onslaught of negativity has come back swiftly, including Aaron Rodgers saying, quote, this guy's a bum. Well, I think it's perfectly a timed commentary. I really do. I think this is kind of the enlightenment towards what happens with these awards, you know, because of the bias that's set in, because people have a hard time separating the on the field with the off the field. It's just human nature. I mean, let's take our dear friend, Big Daddy, my cousin Vince, Okay. When I was 15 years old, Big Daddy introduced me to Bruce Springsteen. And we both had this huge love affair all through our our teenage years on Bruce Springsteen. As we got older, he's kind of moved away from Bruce Springsteen because of his politics, because he doesn't agree with where Springsteen is on the liberal side of it. For me, I don't have a problem. I separate politics from performance. 
I don't care what I, I mean. I agree with some of Bruce stuff. Maybe I don't agree with some of it, but to me, it's insignificant. It's it's not relevant. I'm listening to the music. I'm enjoying the man what he produces, and Big Daddy has a hard time separating the two, and so he's drifted away. But I think Big Daddy is common is the common man to a lot of people that that can't separate. And we see this all the time. And AD, it's so topical because John Madden, John Madden, as we talked about before on the podcast, waited 26 years before he could become a Hall of Fame member to wear a gold jacket. Now, Madden's had a Hall of Fame career in coaching and broadcasting and everything he did, but he had to wait 26 years. And, And oftentimes people would ask him, why? Why are you not in? And he said, I've got two or three people that are against me. They're jealous. And that bias is why it took 26 years. And this happens all throughout, throughout the voting process. This is just the tip of the iceberg that Hub has revealed. So for the average NFL fans, why you're asking, is Dan Reeves not in there? Well, because the people voting don't really understand it. They have bias. I mean, think about this. I tweeted this today. Dan Reeves won 200 games, over 200 games. There's been 500 or more gentlemen that have called themselves head coach in the NFL. Only 10 have won 200 games. So that means 2% of the entire workforce has ever gone into that class. Isn't the Hall of Fame a 2% class? One would think. I mean, maybe people might argue and say, well, it's, it's only the elite. It's a 1% class. And Dan Reeves didn't win enough big games. But, but I'm with you. If you look at longevity and tenure, and clearly being in a lot of big spots, and I, longevity's a big thing to me. If you win for five years, you have a great peak, okay, I appreciate that. There are guys who have had incredible peaks, of course, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders. But I'm big on, hey, I coached for 20, 25 years, and I amassed this many wins. And winning percentage, and AFC Championship game appearance, Super Bowls, that's the case for me for Dan Reeves. Yeah, and then this year, Dick Vermeil, a wonderful human being. A delightful man, makes great wine, okay? He's going to get in the Hall of Fame because Carl Peterson, his dear friend, who's a great friend to Vermeil, is going to let him in. Wonderful career, 52% winning percentage, 120 wins. Why is he in before Dan Reeves? Why is he in before Buddy Parker? Why, why is he? Now, you say, well, he won a Super Bowl. Okay, great. I got that. I got you, AD. No worries. What about Mike Shanahan? How about Mike Holmgren? How is he in before Mike Holmgren? Mike Holmgren's got two Super Bowl wins. You know, he's got two Super Bowl appearances. He's got one win. He lost to the Steelers. He's got a much higher winning percentage. Same with Shanahan. Shanahan's got two wins, right? You, then you could say back to me, okay, well, they had bad second stints. Holmgren in Seattle wasn't as successful. Uh, Shanahan in Washington wasn't successful. Okay, I'll give you that. Hank Stram, when he went to New Orleans after two years, got busted out. So he was a disaster. He's in the hall, right? You know, and and so you see that example. You say, okay, he wasn't very successful. Why is Hank Stram in and not not George Seifert, not Mike Shanahan, not Mike Holmgren before Dick Vermeil? It's this political process that Hub Arkish fortunately allowed us to get a shot into. And it really has made, I think it's the greatest thing that's ever been said. Because it now exposes to football fans around the world some of the bias that goes on in that room. 
Yeah, bias is prevalent in all things you see in life and certainly when it comes to voting. And I think when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, as you've said, he's the clear-cut favorite to win MVP. And Hub Arkish's essential point, which is that he thinks he's the biggest jerk in the league and he's not a great guy, to me, that doesn't exclude you from winning the MVP. You know, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame vote is coming up this month, and it's going to be an absolute doozy. Final year for Barry Bonds, for Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling. you got the first-time voters, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz. And the Hall of Fame, particularly in baseball, you look at the character of a person, integrity of the game, et cetera. In terms of the MVP for a single season, Mike, I don't think I would take into consideration at all if I think a guy's a good guy or a bad guy. I'm watching the John Madden documentary, and the, I love the way it started with Lawrence Taylor. And LT says, listen, I never talk to anybody anymore, but you know what? If it's for Coach Baden, I'll do it. I'm pretty sure Lawrence Taylor was not the best guy in the world. We all know about his off-the-field issues. But that guy's one of the greatest defensive players of all time. I just disagree with Hub Arkish's essential point that Aaron Rodgers being a jerk means he shouldn't get MVP. That has nothing to do with it. Aaron Rodgers has 36 touchdowns and four interceptions. He's the best player in football. You, you think Hub Arkish watches Succession? If he thinks <laughs> Rodgers is a jerk, you think he watches Succession? I got a list of about 25, Joe. What does he think of Logan Roy? I mean, come on. I mean, first of all, it's not a dinner guest list. Like, it's not like he's not having dinner with Rodgers. Like, just because somebody, you know, I, I, I heard Trevor Noah say this on 60 Minutes. I thought it was really fascinating. You know, it, he was talking about the divide in the country, and he was talking about why he wouldn't, the Dave Chappelle incident, and people are on polar opposites of it. And, and, and he was basically saying, look, you know, when you have this much divide, each side thinks they're right, you know, and you have to kind of separate yourself from a little bit of it. And as a voter for the Hall of Fame and as a voter for these awards, you can't allow anything from the outside enter in. That's why we have the man of the year. That's why we have the other things. Give that to somebody. But in terms of just evaluating performance on the field, my Lord, I mean, this is just horrible. And I just think it is the tip. It is the tip. Look, I am not anti-Dick Vermeil. I want to be clear here. But I just think he's behind a lot of other people. Clark Shaughnessy and Buddy Parker being the number one and two for me, because without, without Clark Shaughnessy, just think about this. Without Clark Shaughnessy, there would be no really forward pass in this league. He invented, he got that going. And two, you know how we enjoy the two-minute offense in football? You know how I believe in the middle eight in football? That was Buddy Parker. And every time you watch Tom Brady give signals and Patrick Mahomes give out signals and clues to the other offensive players, thank Buddy Parker for that because he invented that too. And yet Buddy is standing there. He can't get a sniff and we're going to put Vermeil in. Like, there, there's no reason for this. Like, there's no reason for this. But this is just, and I'm so delighted that Arkish let this bias out. Because it is, for my new book, it exposes the inadequacies that are, go on in the voting process. We'll do a GM shuffle from Canton. We'll go through each one. I'll point at the bus. Go, what do you think, Mike? Overhead, underhead, does he deserve to be in? We'll get that roadshow going at some point. That'll be fun to do. And of course, look forward to your book to get all those thoughts, what you're saying with regards to bias in the Hall of Fame. Before we get to the games, let's talk a little Jim Harbaugh. Uh, there's an old saying, right? Get out while the getting's good. Hey, Michigan, man, you guys made the playoff. This is the time that Harbaugh can say, I climbed the mountain, I beat Ohio State, nothing else left to prove, let me get the hell out of here. And Bruce Feldman among those reporting that, Jim Harbaugh might be tempted to return to leave the Wolverines and go back to the NFL. Uh, immediately you think of Chicago because he played for Chicago. Uh, Chicago, obviously, in the Midwest. But Las Vegas, the bigger threat, Mike. Harbaugh was close to Al Davis. The Raiders have Derek Carr. You know they would pay top dollar for Harbaugh's services. I wouldn't be shocked if he left. Where do you think this is at right now? 
Well, I, I think you have to understand the makeup of the captain. I call him the captain, uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh, because he is a traditionalist. I mean, look, he's roaming the sidelines wearing Bo Schembecker's outfit. I mean, he's paying homage to Bo. I mean, there's no denying it. I mean, I, I don't think he's trying to hide it either. I mean, he has a great sense of history. And, you know, he never played for the Raiders. But I can remember this as yesterday. I'm sitting in my office at, at 1220 Harbor Bay Parkway in Oakland. And my phone rings and it's John Harbaugh on the other end. And John Harbaugh says to me, my brother is retiring and he's looking for a coaching job. He wants to be a quarterback coach. Okay, I said, sure, I'll, I'll mention it to somebody around here. Now, Bill Callahan's the head coach of the team. Gruden had just left to go to, to the Bucks. I then go, and then literally, literally, and I swear on my grandchildren, literally, 20 minutes later, I get, oh, are you there? No, I'm not here. I'm fucking sleeping in the backyard. Yeah, of course I'm here. You know, oh, I got a couple things for you. And so I'm like, Mr. Davis, before you get going, just F, he, so he goes, I got a couple things for you. Okay. I, I think we need, I think we need a, an ex-player to help this coaching staff be a quarterback coach. Literally, literally, that's what he says. And I'm like, well, it's funny you just said that because I just got a phone call from Jim Harbaugh's brother, John, and he wants to be one. Oh, that's perfect. Get him in here. And the next thing you know, Jim Harbaugh's a Raider. And Harbaugh just fell in love with the Raiders fell in love with the Raiders. He learned how to coach at the Raiders. Every morning when he would come into his office, if he didn't sleep there, which he did often, he would play the autumn wind. You know, he had such a great sense of history. So I could see the appeal to going back. Now, I think it's got to be the right situation, right? I mean, Harbaugh had a, four, you know, he only coached four years in the NFL, but he had this almost 70% winning percentage. And he had the, and he had the falling out with the front office and Trent Balky, who, who the 49ers picked Balky over Harbaugh. I mean, essentially, that's what they did. And then their franchise went down the tubes. And then they changed and brought in Kyle. So I, I, I would have to believe that wherever he goes, Chicago, where he played and was a first-round pick, or Las Vegas, if he goes there, or if he stays at Michigan, he's going to want to have complete – he's not going to work for somebody. Like, he's not going into Chicago and say, hi, Ryan. Hi, Pace. How are you? Pick all my players for me. Ruin my career like you just ruined Matt Nagy's. Please do that for me, okay? <laughs> you know, like, I don't think he's going to do that. Like, I don't think that's what's going to happen. So I, I, think, I think what we're going to see is, is if somebody's willing to give him the ability to be the captain of all the team. You get some personnel, so that changes things a little bit. As far as Michigan is concerned, though, as I said, they beat Ohio State. They beat Iowa. They do lose to George in the playoff. They're going to lose Aiden Hutchison, who's declaring for the draft, could be the number one overall pick. Uh, but they've still got, I mean, a pretty loaded class. Top 100 caliber talents, five-star corner, Will Johnson. And they got a couple of big quarterbacks, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy, are both there as well. All right, let's get to some games, shall we? The current AFC picture, Tennessee, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo, New England, have all clinched. Right now, Indianapolis, 85% chance to make it. They're the sixth seed. The seventh seed is the Chargers at 58%. And then you got Vegas. Pittsburgh, a 4% chance. Baltimore, 2% chance. Let's be real. Chargers are the Raiders. And that is the game on Sunday night. So they get the flex schedule. Football night in America. You get to watch that game for both teams. Win and you're in. The Chargers right now are minus three. They're on the road against the Raiders Carr versus Herbert, Mike, is going to be fun. Just alone on the quarterbacks alone. Let's dive into that. Carr versus Herbert should be fun because you and I both are big fans of Herbert, but Carr has certainly stepped up. If he can have a big game here and push this team into the playoffs, that would mean a lot to that franchise. Yeah, no doubt. But, I, you know, instead of those, you know, instead of the whole 27 people they have on, on Sunday night football, I mean, could they add more people? I mean, seriously. I mean, it's like, 
you know, it's like one of those trucks that have another truck behind it, you know, like they're pulling two trucks. I mean, and they all pick the game. I think what they should do is give out Al Michaels dining experience wherever he goes on the road. I think that would be more beneficial than them picking games. Like, I want to know where Al eats in Las Vegas. Like, I would like to know that. He's famously said he never eats vegetables, which is, I, I guess I could see that, but loves his wine. And I'm sure he likes a good Italian meal. Like Al is not going somewhere small. His favorite place in Los Angeles, I know it. I used to go there too. It was my favorite place. I would go back there. It, it, it's uh, it's Toscano's. It's in Brentwood, right there on the corner. He would be in there all the time. He held court there uh, and I would see him there. And, 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 you know, and so I think to me, I would like to know where he's eating instead of watching them all pick games, you know? I mean, like they're not even picking against the spread. They're just just picking games. I mean, come on, make it a little more challenging, you know? But I mean, look, this is, this is going to be a fascinating game in the sense we think Darren Waller will be back. Well, the Chargers will have Eckler. They've gone through their COVID experience and they lost to Houston. To me, this is the game of, of can the Chargers play good enough? The first time they played, they played good enough run defense and they really stifled the Raiders, which at that time, AD, Still had Gruden, still had Ruggs. They were three and zero. They won two overtime games. They beat the they beat the Ravens and they beat Miami in overtime. They were flying high when they went down there for Monday night, and and Gruden got stifled by Staley. Now, I don't think the Chargers have played great defense at all this season, but to me, this is going to come down to which defense plays the best. I thought last week that as much as the Raiders played well, I think a lot of last week was Carson Wentz missing a lot of guys. I mean, Carson Wentz was Ricky Fowler last week. Let's face it, you know. And so I, I think, and that allow, and give. I'm not taking anything away from the Raiders, but I think that that was part of it. And I think if Herbert plays his game with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and all their skill, I think it's going to be a hard game for the Raiders to win. Chargers are the better team. Period. Even on the road, minus three, they should win this game. They got the better of the Raiders early in the season. Props to Rich Bisacci. I mean, if the Raiders win this game and get in the playoffs after what they've overcome with the John Gruden mess, Raiders rookie cornerback Nate Hobbs arrested Monday morning DUI. You think what would happen with Henry Ruggs? There's a lot of storylines here to uh, feel good about the Raiders if they can make it. Also, if the Colts lose the Jaguars, both the Raiders and the Chargers would make it into the playoffs if they tie. So I don't know if you're a conspiracy theorist and you see these teams trying to tie, but I, I don't really see that happening. I can't even but imagine how, that, how you orchestrate that. I mean, could you imagine the <laughs> indignation that would go on? I mean, both owners <laughs> would be furious. You know, the networks would be absolutely, you know, could you imagine kneeling three times, punting, kneeling three times? <laughs> Somehow somebody would screw it up. You know that. It's still 17-all here late in the fourth quarter. Well, not even team is trying zero, to score. Zero. I think nobody would score. I think it would be just <laughs> kneel down, kneel down, kneel down. You know, going back to the Meadowlands game, which yeah. people don't realize, the miracle in the Meadowlands, yeah. It was illegal at that time for quarterbacks to kneel down the play. Hmm. And on first down in that game, I went back, I watched the entire game. It was fascinating. Don Cricky and Sonny Jurgensen doing the commentary. It's on YouTube. It's fascinating. You know, no commercials. It's brilliant. You go through it. But on the first down play, Pasarczyk comes back. He moves two yards backwards and he lays down. And the Eagle players all jump over and land on him. And almost <laughs> there's a scuffle. So the next play, they, they actually run a play. They run the ball. Zonka runs off tackle for about three yards, four yards. And then the next play, they reverse pivot. But to me, could you imagine if, if this game ended in a tie because each quarterback did three kneel downs, punt, three, you know, somebody would screw it up. Oh, yeah. You, you know that. Somebody would screw it up. So I, I the, can't the imagine The best laid plans always go to fruition. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I couldn't imagine it ended in a tie. I mean, now, if the game was going along and you had a chance to tie or win the John Harbaugh situation in Green Bay or against, or against Pittsburgh, just kick the point and tie the game. Now, you, now you're in. Yeah. 
that could come into play. You're right. A little fourth and goal late in the game, down by three kind of thing. Steelers and the Ravens. Again, this is going to be a lot of work for these teams to make it. Baltimore, they got to win. Plus the Chargers, Colts, and Dolphins all lose. Pittsburgh has to win. Hope that the Colts lose and the Raiders-Chargers does not end in a tie. Ravens are minus five. They're at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is it for Big Ben. I think this is going to be his final game. We yeah. saw his final game in Pittsburgh, at least, if he tries to hang on somewhere else. Lamar could play, although I don't know how hobbled he is. I think this is the end of the road for Big Ben Roethlisberger. And you said it, I think, around week eight, Mike. If you don't know, now you know. Big Ben's finished. He's going to be finished after Sunday. No, this is the last game for Ben. And, and Lamar's not playing. You can just write that down. Lamar's not playing. There's no chance Lamar's playing in this game. This is going to be Huntley versus Big Ben. I mean, Big Ben threw the ball 46 times for 136 yards. You know, we did the show on Monday, so we didn't get a chance to talk about the Monday night game that Pittsburgh won, Big Ben's finale. It wasn't Billy Chapel pitching a no-hitter in, t- in Yankee Stadium. This <laughs> was about as bad of a performance as any, love of the game. Play, as any ball player could have. I mean, it was bad. I mean, poor Big Ben. I felt sorry for him. His longest pass was 13 yards to Nigel Harris. How he won the game, I don't know. I mean, you know, Mike Tomlin doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he's got this team 8-7-1. I mean, you think about it. I mean, this is a bad team. I know I know TJ Watt has been rushing the passer, but my lord, they're a bad team. Such a bad offense because they can't do anything with the quarterback. You know, it just shows you the the book knows Lamar's not playing, and yet Baltimore's still a five. And Baltimore doesn't have anybody. I mean, Baltimore doesn't have anybody on their roster. And usually these games are always close. But you know, with Lamar not playing, the the Ravens know they have really zero chance of getting in. To me, you know, and and I think Najee Harris took a beating against the Browns. I know he ran for a bunch of yards, but that was Monday night. This is a short week for him. This is going to be a challenge. And Roethlisberger, after the game, was talking to Lisa Salters, and he's like, you know, it's kind of like much of my career. Ugly games somehow found a way to win. I'm like, that, that is, in many ways, typifies Big Ben Roethlisberger's career. Colts and the Jaguars. 9-7 and seven Colts. Jags are 2-14. and 14. Indianapolis wins. They're in. Or if the Chargers lose and the Ravens-Steelers tie, they're favored minus 15. For God's sakes, there's no way they lose this game, right? Well, they haven't won down there since 2014. They Eesh. haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014. I mean, remember opening day last year? They destroyed everybody's fantasy, everybody's survivor pick when they lost. Everybody thought that was an easy play. You know, now look, the Jaguars will get a, you know, they missed a, a zillion players last week when they lost 50 to 10 to the to the Raiders, to the to the Patriots. So they're going to get a bunch of guys back this week. Will it make a difference? I don't know. I mean, you got to believe that Wentz with a week of practice and some time, I mean, they defeated them earlier in the year. But, you know, the Eric Fisher thing, you know, they put Matt Pryor over there. They didn't play Julian Davenport, which really helped them. But this should be a game the Colts win, especially where the Jaguars are. As they're interviewing coaches, somebody in the league told me they thought it's going to be Doug Peterson as the head coach of the Jags. I don't know that, but that's what I was told. Uh, we'll see after the season. I mean, Monday uh, Monday will be a, a kind of a little Black bit Monday. of our Black Monday in the NFL. But the Jaguars, look, I mean— they got to fix. They got to fix the quarterback, as we said on Monday. If not, I don't care who the head coach is. And they don't even want to win this game. They don't want to risk the number one pick to play spoiler. So go ahead, Colts beat us by thirty. We don't yeah. care. Yeah. We're going to hire a new coach, Doug Peterson. It makes sense. Super Bowl winning coach, uh, clearly a guy who's had offensive success. Although some might argue a lot of that was due to Frank Reich, but had a lot of success with Carson Wentz. Well, I mean, look, uh, Doug Peterson's Colts. got a Super Bowl win. He might as well get in the Hall of Fame too. Why not? You know, <laughs> it's down the list. All right, those are as far as the AFC is concerned. How about the battle for the number one seed? Right now, the Titans have that number one seed, and they're taking on the Texans on Sunday. Before we get to that, though, Saturday is the Chiefs. They're taking on the Broncos. If they win and the Titans lose or tie, 
then that's how KC can all of a sudden make hay as the number one seed or tie and the Titans lose. Denver's season hasn't gone as expected. They're not going to finish strong, we would expect, as we've discussed, their quarterbacking issues. The Chiefs, though, might run an eight-game winning streak before losing last week to Cincinnati. How important is this game at mile high for them? Well, I, I mean, they got to post the win. I think, I think the league put them in position to play well. I mean, they put Mahomes on Saturday television at 4.30, which is tremendous. You know, people want to watch the Chiefs anyway offensively. Tyreek Hill hasn't really been able to make very many big plays for them. I mean, he's kind of, people have taken him out of their offense, which has made them a little bit less, they've changed what they're doing. I mean, he's still dynamic. I mean, the touchdown pass that uh, Pringle caught against the Bengals, the first one. I mean, it's because people are chasing Hill through the through the seam, but he needs to kind of step, he needs to play better or they need to get and figure out a way to get him the ball. But the Broncos are broken. They put Bridgewater on IR. You know, this is going to be Drew Locke. This will be his last game in, in Denver, I would suspect. Probably Fangio's last game. I can't imagine with all the injuries that Denver has and the lack of talent that they have on defense that they can stay within 10 points of this game. I think the Chiefs are, are will we'll put it out there. They'll win, even though they know. Now, here's the thing is betters we have to be careful of. When they have control of the game, do they back off? The Chiefs have never been a great cover team. They've always been cover early and then let the other team come back in. They only scored three points in the second half against the Bengals or else they could have won that game. So I think that would be the concern if you're going to bet the Chiefs, don't get backdoor covered. But I don't see how the Broncos even, I don't see how the Broncos score 10 points in this game. Titans and the Texans. Remarkable season for the Titans. Mike Vrabel getting coach of the year talk. The Titans designated Derrick Henry to return from IR yesterday. How important. Imagine a first round bye and all of a sudden Derrick Henry comes back for the playoffs. How big would that be for this Titans team? Well, I mean, look, I, I have a question for all the GM listeners. I would like to know all the people that think Matt LaFleur should be the coach of the year or Zach Taylor should be the coach of the year. I have a simple question. What would the Titans record be if Zach Taylor coached the Titans? What would the Titans record be if Matt LaFleur coached them? Because let's put it in perspective here. The Titans have lost more players than any team in the NFL, starters, over 80, to injuries. They lose their best running back. Their defense has been devastated by injuries during the season and missing the season. And yet, Mike has this team as the number one seed in the AFC, and all he has to do is beat the lowly Texans. I mean, it's really a remarkable coaching job. And for him not to get coach of the year with this performance is somewhat remarkable. It's, 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 it's an injustice. It really is. I ask you, now I'll ask Big Daddy what he, th- what he thinks the Titans record would be with LaFleur. I'll, I'll be he, able to, He'd say three and 14. I mean, probably <laughs> would. Yeah, he would definitely say that. Yeah, there's no doubt. However, you know, but I think you ask yourself that question. Like if LaFleur was coaching Ryan Tannehill and that defense, what would his record be? You know, would they be able to do this? I mean, offensive linemen going left and right. I think he's coach of the year. Look, they brought, they designated Henry to return. Look, Foreman ran like crazy last week. He was unbelievable. The Titans are fast on defense. They tackle well, they play hard and they don't. And when they don't turn the ball over, which is what they typically don't do when they, when they avoid losing, they win. I know that sounds stupid, easy, but that's really what their method is. I I think they're going to be a hard out. They're going to get the first round by. Yeah, avoid turnovers, avoid mistakes, avoid losing in that perspective. Bengals and the Browns, what a year for Cincinnati. Division champions, they got a shot at the number one seed, but they've already announced that Joe Burrow will not play. Joe Mixon just caught COVID. So, listen, for Cincinnati, this is one of those, hey, nobody get hurt kind of game, right? Like, who cares what happens? We've already got the division. Nobody get hurt. I don't even think they play chase. I think this is going to be bring up all your practice squad guys that you can bring up and put them out there. I think this is a, you know, Brandon Allen. I mean, 
first of all, would you, I mean, really, are, would you put Burrow in, in a game that's meaningless and ha- risk him getting hurt behind that shitty offensive line that the Bengals have? I wouldn't. You know, so to me, I think there's no doubt. I mean, this is just don't, this is one, just get through the game, get it over with. You're the NFC, get on to the next opponent, which either is going to be the Patriots or the Colts. Baker Mayfield is not going to play in this game because he's on the IR, but you wonder about his long-term future with the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, look, I've said this before on, on Vicent's show, that he's an asset. Now, determining what that asset is is a little bit complicated, but they have him under contract. And as this offseason begins with all the turmoil at the quarterback position, he becomes a viable chip for somebody. Now, I don't think he's a great chip. I think the problems that we all noted when he was coming out of college, his lack of height, his lack of ability to be a true dropback passer. I thought it was interesting. Cower on Monday Night Football when the Manning cast said, hey, look, make Baker be a dropback passer. I've been saying that for four years. Like, make him be a dropback passer. Everybody in the league knows. he he. The bigger problem with Baker is, the, is not only the interceptions, how many tip balls he gets. He gets, way too, he gets seven tip balls usually a game from the defensive front or from a defensive back can tip the ball. So uh, he has some value. I think I think Andrew Barry and the and the Cleveland front office is going to have to figure this out. I mean, they had the perfect situation. Could have drafted Lamar, could have drafted Josh Allen. They picked Baker. That was Dorsey at that time. I think it became really that it's going to it looks like they blew the pick. And lastly, the Patriots and the Dolphins. Patriots have a slim chance at number one pick, but I think the story really here has been Mac Jones. He is not going to be the offensive rookie of the year because Jamar Chase has been so sensational. But the Patriots' future, Mike, is brighter than the Dolphins, thanks to Mac Jones. Think about that. Both those teams have young quarterbacks. There's a lot of talk about Tua Tungavailoa, but the Patriots' future is brighter simply on quarterbacks alone. That's remarkable to me. Yeah, I think, look, I think Brian Flores knows what I know about Tua, you know, there's some things Tua does really well. He's accurate on short passes. This will be a hard game for the Patriots because when you go back and watch the first game, you know, the Patriots had a hard time tackling the talent of the Dolphins in space, especially when they when they made the score 17-16. They couldn't get the ball back. They turned it over going in again for a touchdown and they couldn't get the ball back. And they had every chance. They were the better team on that day in that game, and they couldn't really uh, close it out. I think this will be a hard. They got to put pressure on Tua. But what, what to me, more alarming than anything, is Tua's fumbles in the pocket and his inability to handle bad weather. He's really not a bad weather quarterback. And I know he plays in Miami, but you have New England and Buffalo you have to beat up there. And you're not always going to be the beneficiary of the graciousness of the NFL scheduling by playing Buffalo in, in September and New England in October. You know, you may have to go up there in December. I think that's a problem. I, I really, I'll say this on January the 6th, that uh, I, I really believe they'll trade two of this year. I love it. Love the bold proclamation. We'll break down the NFC playoff picture. Both the Niners and the Saints are fighting for the final playoff spot. Who is better positioned to make it? That's next here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in 
instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Here's how it looks in the NFC. Green Bay, the Rams, Tampa Bay, Dallas, Arizona, and Philadelphia have all clinched playoff spots. San Francisco has a 62% chance to make it, and New Orleans has a 38% chance to make it. The Niners are playing at the Rams Sunday at 425. San Francisco clinches a playoff berth with a win or a tie or a Saints loss or a tie. But the Rams can clinch the NFC West with a win or a tie or a Cardinals loss or a tie. So the Rams are playing for something here at 12-4. and four, The Niners dominated the first matchup here. The Rams, though, they went all in on the Super Bowl this year. I think that the Rams are going to win this game, Mike, but I do think Stafford needs to step up after some rough showings lately. This is a big game for both these teams, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. And look, uh, you know, today we're taping this on Thursday morning, and Garopp, they say if Garoppolo can go, he's going to go, which tells you what you need to know, right? I mean, you know, everybody thinks Lance played really good last week. Okay, well, they're going to go with Garoppolo and his bad thumb. That tells you. I mean, you know, that was a different game, especially in the second half. I think Lance took a step. I, I'm not sure... That that's a step you want to count on your your playoff hopes with. I think this is really about Stafford. I mean, you know, Stafford's turned the ball over six times in the last two weeks, made some really bonehead plays. And what we talked about on the Monday pod, I mean, if it wasn't for the Ravens not paying attention to the middle eight, you know, the, the Rams are going to be losing this game. The, the Niners have been able to dominate the Rams. They're more physical than they are, especially the defensive front against their offensive front. I think this is a game. I think Stafford will play well. I think Matt... Excuse me. I think uh, Sean McVay will will run the ball. He'll get back to the golf offense and try to limit his mistakes. And I do think with Garoppolo's thumb being questionable, it's going to be a challenging game for them. So, you know, I lean towards the Rams here, but I think it'll be a fun game. Garoppolo, whether or not he plays, will obviously have a major factor. And then it's the Saints and the Falcons. So, yeah. obviously... The Saints got a chance here. They're favored minus four and a half on the road. They can clinch a playoff berth with a win and a 49ers loss. They really have battled this year. They lost Breeze for last year, lost Jameis this year. If they can get in, um, I just think it's a nice moment for obviously a football hotbed. Taysom Hill, perhaps a guy that could even pull off an upset. I, I, to be honest, Mike, I'm just shocked we're sitting here January 6th and New Orleans has a chance in the playoffs. I didn't think this would happen a few weeks ago. All right, let me ask you this question. What would the what would the Saints record be if Matt LaFleur and and, and Zach Taylor were coaching them? I mean, yeah, this is that. a riddle decisive that, victory for Sean Payton. Rid- yeah. I mean, riddle me that, Batman. I mean, seriously, like, like I think Sean Payton's done a remarkable job. I mean, it's unbelievable. All these quarterbacks and, you know, he, he was dominant the Fal- I mean, the Falcons were dominating the first game, and then they stormed back in the second in the second half. And then uh, Kyle Pitts made a great catch. Uh, no, excuse me, Cordell Patterson beat him on a deep pass and got him into field goal range, and they won the game. You know, uh, this Atlanta team they competed. I thought on on Sunday up in Buffalo they didn't cover, but I think this is a hard game for them. I think the the, the defense of New Orleans will be up and ready to play. Especially, you know, they've played well in Atlanta. 
and especially being beaten one time before. And Matt Ryan, God love him. He's a warrior. He's taking a beating. But I, I think this will be a really hard game. I mean, look, the Saints are going to put themselves in position, and they might get in, A.D. They might get in because, you know, there's no guarantee the Niners can win that game. There's no guarantee. And if they get in, you know, they become, they then have to play whoever the second seed is. If that's the Rams, you know, they go out there and play the Rams. And look, if the if the Saints have to go play the Rams, we saw the Saints shut out Tom Brady, right? And I don't think the Saints, but the Saints defense can carry him a little bit. And if Taysom makes a few plays and they run the ball like Sean wants to do, look, on it, I've said this many times. In single elimination tournaments, you do not have to be the best team. You just have to be the best team that day. So if the Saints get in, I wouldn't just write them off as, you know, they're going to just get destroyed. Right. Capable of pulling off an upset. For Atlanta, you wonder about the future of Matt Ryan plus Kyle Pitts, the first rookie tight end to make a Pro Bowl in almost 20 years. As always, send us your mailbag questions to gmshuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. You mentioned earlier Mike Tomlin, the job he's doing with Pittsburgh. This is from Jonathan. I think Mike Tomlin needs some appreciation. He just ensured he won't have a losing record each of his first 15 seasons, even with all the quarterback issues the last three years. Think of all the personalities he has had to deal with and manage. Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, LeGarrette Blunt, Martavis Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger, Bruce Arians, Todd Haley, Joey Porter, James Harrison, San Antonio Holmes, Mike Wallace. I love there's offensive guys, defensive guys, oh, coaches. Yeah. Like Todd Haley, that guy must have been a lot to deal with on the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, look, he, it's funny because Tomlin gets no love. I mean, everybody thinks his game management is horrible, but all the guy does is win. I love his comment that, you know, the goal isn't to win, to be 500. The goal is to get in the playoffs. But more than anything, what I thought that reader left off the list was trying to manage a player who can't play anymore. Now, Phil Jackson, this is interesting. Phil Jackson knew Kobe was, was coming to the end. And Phil Jackson walked away from the Lakers solely because, now people will deny it, but it's true, solely because he didn't want to coach Kobe in his downtime years. I mean, that's a really, really hard job to tell a player who was once great you can't play anymore, right? And it's really hard to tell a great player, we want to change the offense when the great player wants to get rid of the ball. I mean, you can see that Matt Canada wants to run a different style of offense, but Ben doesn't want to run that. And the decision to bring Ben back by the Rooney management, the, the Steelers owners, to me was the right decision, but it made it a wrong year for Tomlin. And Tomlin's been able to overcome that. Because he's kind of fought it. He didn't, he didn't sit there and say, they're screwing me, making me play this guy. You know, I got to get rid of him. He understood and respected what, what Ben has done for the franchise, right? He respects that. But he also has to try to manage and win the game. And, and Ben can't play anymore. And that's the hardest player to coach is a guy who can't play anymore. It really is. And give him credit for, and still winning. I mean, it, you could have easily just been a four and 13 team and said, screw it, you know, we're done. But, you know, that ain't Tomlin. Remarkable to me, just in Pittsburgh, how few coaches they've had, too. Like, it's just nuts to be there. In this day and age, every couple, like you said, Vic Fangio's going to lose his job. Coaches get rotated. Like, people change their socks. And now it's just been, like, Chuck Knoll and and Mike Tomlin and Bill Cower, and that's how we do things. I'm like, all right, I appreciate the longevity there in Pittsburgh. We get to the pop culture minute. It's not often I can recommend a date movie to Mike and Millie, but go check out West Side Story. I took my wife, Amy, to go see it. The original came out 60 years ago. Steven Spielberg directing it. I don't think you're a big 
big musical guy, Mike. I don't think no. that's your alley, but I hope Millie is. And by the way, what you laugh at is this. Some of the songs I go, oh, I know that song because of a mob movie. Remember Analyze That? Robert De Niro, yeah, they think yeah, he's nuts. Yeah. And he's singing, I feel pretty. I'm so pretty. That, of course, is a song from West Side Story, which I did not realize until I saw the film. Uh, I want to live in America. You've heard that song before somewhere in other movies and stuff. But uh, listen, as a musical, Millie will love it. It's beautiful. It's a modern-day Romeo and Juliet, romantic, luscious, amazing choreography. I got to tell you, I don't think you're a dancer. I got to tell you, I have two left feet. I can't imagine how these dancers do take after take. 20 people in the streets of New York City. Remarkable. Great stuff from Spielberg. You know, no, but I mean, the Rat Pack would sing West Side Stories uh, West Side Story songs in in that with Dean and you know so I, I've listened so the music probably would be really enlightening I would love to see that was Natalie Wood in West Side Story uh, Rebel Without a Cause for sure I don't know if she was in West Side Story I'll double check while we look this up and a thought on Rita Moreno by the way 89 years old she's an EGOT Emmy Grammy Oscar Tony she won an Oscar for playing Maria in the original West Side Story, and now she's in this film as well. Could you imagine 89 years old still grinding up performances? It's I mean, amazing. Because Millie's away again this week, I've been I watched that Rita Moreno documentary on Netflix. Oh, nice. It's fascinating. I mean, what a career this woman had, you know, and, and just being able to come to America and then she was able to dance and do all that. It's really kind of remarkable. And uh, you know, I mean. It's just a complete success story. She's, I think she's, she lives in the Berkeley Hills, it looked like to me, up there. And so I, I, it's really kind of a, a wonderful gesture by the producers of the new movie to bring her back in this one. I agree. And you're right. Uh, Rita Moreno played Anita. Natalie Wood played Maria in the original. Was I thought she was as Maria. far as by actress Marnie Nixon for the singing parts. So yeah. songs like Tonight and I Feel Pretty and Somewhere dub. But it is Natalie Wood who is in the film. Good, yeah, because I just saw something on, 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 I don't know. I think it was on Twitter. First of all, the Sports 70s guy on Twitter, he started off the 2020 <laughs> oh, hilarious. season. He's 70s just hilarious. Sports I mean, is amazing. I, I, I give him a stand-up ovation every single... I mean, it's brilliant. Some of the stuff he comes up with is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, but I was reading something on Twitter. Apparently, Warren Beatty and Lana Wood had, had like a long going back and forth. And I don't know at what point in Lana Wood's life, probably after she was 18, I'm assuming so, that she was always getting invited over to Frank Sinatra's pool to go swimming, right? And so I think like after 10 or 12 years, um, Warren Beatty finally asked her, he said, you know, uh, what, you know, what were you and Frank doing? You know, why was Frank always asking you to go over to the pool? And Lana Wood says, Warren, what do you think we were doing? We were effing. That's what we were doing. <laughs> And I guess it just completely shocked Warren Beatty. I mean, Warren, there must be two Warren Beatty's. Last night, I went back and rewatched the Joan Didion, who I think is one of the greatest writers of all time. If you don't read Slouching in Bethlehem or the, the White Album, I mean, you're just doing yourself a dis- She's an incredibly talented woman. She just passed away. Uh, and so I'm rewatching the documentary on Netflix about her. And apparently Warren Beatty was fabulously in love with her. Like at every dinner party, he wanted to sit next to it. And, and Joan Didion's husband you know, uh, Gregory Dunn, I, I forget, I think that's his name, was, they they all knew he had this huge crush on her. It was hilarious. I mean, Warren Beatty is, there's more stories about, like, if Warren Beatty doesn't write a tell-all book, it would be an injustice to all of us. I mean, my still my favorite one is when, when, uh, when Carly Simon shows up at her therapist and says that, you know, complaining about Warren Beatty coming over and having sex and then going. And the, the therapist said, well, I just, I just talked to a woman who did the same thing earlier today. I mean, like, it's hilarious. Like the guys, there must be two of them. There has to be two of them. Warren Beatty, much like Sinatra, also famously endowed and, and definitely a couple of 
couple of lady killers, as they would say back no in the doubt. day. No doubt. No doubt. Thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. I can't wait. Week 18 and then the playoffs. It's a great time to be a football fan. Thanks for checking out the GM Shuffle.